Welcome to Broadway Radio's Tell Me More. I'm your host, Matt Tamanini. Here on Tell Me More, we strive to talk about projects and topics that don't often get covered on theater podcasts. As regular listeners know, at the end of last month, I traveled from Orlando, where I live, to New York City for a week of work and shows. Since I had already seen much of the best that Broadway had to offer from the previous season, a majority of my trip was spent seeing shows off-Broadway. In this episode, I speak with stars from three of those shows, one play, one musical, and one show that simply defies explanation, even for its star and creator. In this episode, I will speak with the multi-talented actress Rebecca Naomi Jones, currently starring in Fire and Dreamland at The Public. Then I speak with Derek Delgadio, the creator and star of one of the most unique shows that I've ever seen, in and of itself, currently playing at the Daryl Roth Theater downtown. And then finally, I talked to Connor Ryan, who has returned to the role of Johnny Blood in the off-Broadway transfer of the musical Desperate Measures, which had a multi-extended, drama-desk winning run at the York Theater at the end of 2017. Now, what's interesting about all three of these shows is that there's only a total of 10 performers in all three of them combined. However, each in its own unique way finds a way to feel both intimate and all-encompassing at the same time. First, I speak with Rebecca Naomi Jones, whose career has involved Broadway musicals like Passing Strange, American Idiot, and Hedwig and the Angry Inch, as well as the Broadway play Significant Other. But she's also been involved with an incredibly diverse mix of off-Broadway works like Describe the Night, Marie and Rosetta, The Fortress of Solitude, Murder Ballad, and many more. Currently through August 5th, she brings her varied talents and experiences to Renna Groff's new play Fire and Dreamland, directed by Marissa Wolfe. In the aftermath of Superstorm Sandy, a disillusioned do-gooder named Kate, played by Jones, meets Yop, played by TV star Enver Jokai, a charismatic European making a film about the 1911 fire that burned Coney Island's Dreamland Amusement Park to the ashes. The show also stars the first Usnavi that I ever saw, Kyle Beltran. As Rebecca and I discuss, I saw the show on the Sunday of last month's Pride March, so it wasn't exactly the best attended performance of a show that I saw on my trip, but it was nonetheless affecting. As I try to say in a poorly articulated question, the show finds a way to make you feel as if you are literally in the middle of the story, as if you're watching your own story unfold all around you. I have spent a lot of time thinking about the messages and structure of this show in the week and a half since I saw it, and it continues to open up and reveal new things to me. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Rebecca Naomi Jones. So, I saw the show uh, yesterday, and I think I'm still... afternoon or evening? Afternoon. Why, is there a difference? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it was, just, it was our first matinee, so, you know, it was, it was just, you know, it's educational. <laughs> well, yeah, and especially on, on Pride Weekend, I feel like a lot of people were probably uh, either had other things going on, but it's a, kind of a different audience <laughs> yeah. a little bit between the afternoon and the evening performances. <laughs> yeah, that too, that too. Okay. We had been warned kindly uh, from Yuvika, who's one of our producers, we had been warned that that our, our Sunday our Sunday matinees and particularly our yesterday Pride matinee was was going to be a little lean so it was yeah. <laughs> but you know and it was yeah it was it was fine it was, it was we were there and they were there and you were there so it was good I was there I was there and I and I've got to tell you and I I think I'm still kind of wrapping my head uh, around the show but one thing and maybe it had something to do with that leanness in the crowd but 
I felt like the show, and maybe it's the way it's it's told, maybe it's the the, the cast, but it really felt to, I, I don't know, wash over me is not the, the right word, but kind of engulf the whole space because it really felt incredibly personal, even more than, you know, a normal play would. Is that something that you feel having done it now for a week or so? Yeah. Um, when you say personal, do you mean like it, it felt like... Um like the story itself feels like. Um, well, it, it, well, I'll, I'll explain because I don't want to make you uh, make you guess what I was thinking. <laughs> but um, okay. no, it, it felt. It, I mean, it felt impactful personally, but it felt like I was in the middle of it. It felt like it was partially my story. Um, uh, watching what your character went through, like going on that journey, oh, that's cool. which was rather that's tumultuous. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Um, I think maybe that. I mean, I think a big part of that is probably um, the beautiful music that that Brendan, our sound designer, is layering in. Because it really helps to aid in this cinematic feel throughout the play, which I think uh, there's something about that. I mean, his music is so beautiful, but it also just, it's got that thing that some music has that weirdly makes you feel nostalgic for something like that you're you're not even sure what it is. So I, I feel like that's a big part of it. Like something about his music right from the start really makes me like feel my mm. own history start to get sort of like, I don't know, dredged up in my body. And so maybe that's something that's like quietly happening for the audience as well. And um, I don't know. I mean, aside from that, I think there's something about this story. I've said it before in rehearsal. I mean, it's, it sounds a little bit cheesy to say, but I've thought about it a lot where it feels like, the way a Joni Mitchell song can sometimes feel where it's like, it's so specific and personal and not your story, but there's something about it that's so specific and personal that it feels like you totally relate to it. I don't know. No, absolutely. And and that's, what's so interesting about this is because when you set, and I don't want to spoil, you know, a a whole lot of of the stuff in the show itself, but when you come Mm -hmm. out and you kind of give us the lay of the land, so to speak at the very beginning, We Mm -hmm. think that we're going on one very specific journey and then Mm. to see the twist and turns that that story goes through, to me, kind of that surprise as to what this story was really about as opposed to what I thought it was about from the beginning kind of jolted me to a a point that I I didn't expect. You know, know, it was – the journey that your character Kate goes on is is a tumultuous one, like I said, but it's very revelatory and feels so necessary – to yeah. what the settings for that story, you know, for the backdrop of what's being told. Yes, yes, I agree. I agree. And I feel like that's um, that's something I love about the story so much because cause it is all interwoven with this, this story about Brooklyn and Coney Island, the place, the setting, but also about this, you know, this, this artistic journey and then this personal journey and just the way all of those things impact one another is a really major part of this story. No, absolutely. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the the story a little bit. For people who aren't familiar with it, um, you play a character named Kate, and do you want to kind of just give the, mm-hmm. the elevator pitch for what this is about? Yeah. Um, Kate is a character who um, she moved to Coney Island for a job, a, a corporate job, really. She, she works for a company that is, it's sort of like a it's a government-ish kind of job. She um, she does sort of like the the bureaucratic side of 
philanthropy in a weird way, I guess. Is that, a, do you think that's appropriate yeah. to say? Yeah, I think that makes she, sense. Um, yeah. She's like in a way trying to do good, but on the real businessy side of it with all of the red tape. And um, she really is just like working for a company who is sort of half trying to partner up with, uh, you know, let's say like a big corporation, like a McDonald's type corporation and um, partner that up with like a new playground initiative for these kids and uh, to have in, in Coney Island in this neighborhood. I mean, it's not actually McDonald's in our story. It's Mad Burger. <laughs> but in a way, I think she feels like she's she's doing something important because it is a company that is trying to partner up with the community by partnering this playground initiative for these children up with a big major fast food company. And in a way that is something positive for the community of Coney Island, um, especially a year after Superstorm Sandy in which Coney Island is still in a state of devastation. And so Kate is, is working this, you know, this regular nine to five job and, and doing PowerPoints and like, and doing what she can. But, you know, in amidst all of that, she's, mourning the death of her father. Her father passed away eight years ago. And, um, and her father uh, is a major figure in her life. And she's, I think, still holding on to uh, some guilt, but also some a sense of, of failure, because she's not, I think, measuring up to the idea of what her father expected from her and what she expected from herself in in the shadow of who her father was in terms of what he did. And her father was someone who dedicated his entire life to social work. Kate mentions in the beginning of the play that her father worked in a methadone clinic in the same job for most of his adult life. And, you know, if you really think about what that job was, it, yeah. it had to be incredibly difficult. And especially we've talked about this in rehearsal, like, you know, those clinics are so complicated because people are detoxing and they're, but they're also like going on methadone and it's, it's just, it's really complicated. And uh, anyway, it's just, it's to, to think about what her father was committed to and um, where Kate is in her life. And she talks a lot in the beginning about how she sort of bounced around from, from different things. She tried doing Teach for America and she, um, she worked with her dad in the methadone clinic for a bit, but here she is now, um, you know, having moved to Coney Island for this job job, um, which is like somewhat connected to social work because it's somewhat, it's got a community outreach element to it, but it's really, it's really not like in the trenches of social work. And so we meet Kate at the beginning of the play in a, in a state of sort of just like, still trying to deal quietly with um, with the loss of her father and also I think the loss of faith and confidence in herself and, and what she yeah, yeah, yeah. hopes to be and promised to, to, to do with her life. And, um, and it, it, I think it becomes clear over the course of the play in subtle ways that her relationship with her mother is somewhat fractured and, and that she doesn't really have anyone. It's really interesting. Like she mentions sort of one friend over the course of the play. And that friend is an ex-boyfriend who she hasn't really been in touch with for a long time. And 
so she's done this thing where she's isolated herself in this apartment in Coney Island. And all of that is to say she's, she's on her own. And, um, and I guess, um, I don't know, you were asking about her journey in the play. I mean, it's really interesting. I mean, she, I think there are a lot of beautiful layers in, in that go into what, in, that go into saying what this play is about, um, yeah. which is like a, a great, it's a goal of, of Rinna's as well. I mean, she, she really talks about the layers, the palimpsest of it all. And, um, and I think, you know, it, it, one element of this play is that it's about how you can meet people in your life, in your life, who, with whom you become intertwined. And those people can, become very pivotal and important to you and your life and to your life's journey and still not be the right person for you. Yeah. And on the way that can, can impact you negatively on the way to something positive. (laughs) Well, no. And I think that's, that's one of the things that I took away the most is, and, and this is probably a metaphor that I'm drawing in my head, maybe just because it's, you know, Coney Island. And I think you guys mentioned it as well, but it really is, this roller coaster of a, of a relationship and a journey for Kate that there are ups, there are downs, but ultimately it arrives at a final destination that we think, um, you know, we don't really know at the end, but we feel like does have a a positive resolution, even if everything that got her there was less than smooth sailing. Yes, I completely agree with that. And I think that is the overall, I don't want to say message, but I think that is the overall um, the overall ride that we want to take uh, <laughs> from the play, which is that the idea of people making their way through something incredibly devastating in their lives and holding on to what that devastation has meant for them and continues to mean for them and having it be a part of who they are from then on, but finding a way to keep going and move on with their lives and move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you you talked about maybe some of these people in Kate's life are not as positive. So let's talk about the uh, the other cast members in, in this uh-huh. show with uh, Kyle and Enver. It, um, it's such an interesting, again, without spoiling a whole lot, the way that this yeah. show kind of evolves in the dynamics between Kate and the other characters. Um, what what yeah. has it been like working with, with these two guys? Oh, it's been great. I mean, um, Kyle is a really good friend of mine already. We um, we met years ago doing Fortress of Solitude at the Public. Right. Um, and we actually, we met um, prior to actually doing the production at the Public, we met doing uh, workshops of the play. And so uh, we've known each other since 2012, and he really is one of my dearest friends. So that has been really special um, for me and for both of us because we – we love each other deeply and we support each other. And I think, you know, just over the rehearsal process, it's just been really, really important to have someone, you know, as a real, a real cheerleader. Um, and, um, and also I just, I just think the world of him as an actor. And so that's been really yeah. great, especially with these two characters who um, I think when you first meet, Lance, the character that Kyle plays, there's a little bit of like a um, question mark period for the audience going like, who is this person? Uh, How is he related to these other characters? Like, what's going to happen here? Um, Which is really fun. And I think um, 
And I think the journey for these two characters and their relationship is really interesting and, and, and starts off a little rocky. And I think Kyle does such a great job of playing this character who's really sort of blunt and says things as they are. It's not <laughs> yeah. a mean person. It's not, it's not coming from a place of just like, oh, he's a bad guy. It's just like he doesn't operate from a place of like constantly thinking about how what he says is going to could could be perceived by the other person and i think you know just the fact that kyle and i have chemistry as friends really is is helpful in those in those scenes with the two of us and and there i'd only just met um for this production although i had seen him in something on tv but i still can't figure out what it is because he um does mostly tv acting out in la um but i know i've seen him on something like I, i feel like it might be something really random like like Law and Order, even though he's done like <laughs> bigger roles on bigger TV shows and all of that. But well, um, I've been a fan. Yeah, I've been a fan of his for about ten years. So, uh, so oh I'm on the goodness. other side. So I came into this, uh, you know, knowing both you and Kyle from the theater and him from TV. It was a really interesting uh, universe for to kind of see inhabited on stage. That is amazing. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. Well, he's great. He's really like dedicated to to figuring out you know, exactly how, where his character um, sort of ticks from. Um, and, and the character is really delicious and fun. And um, I think, you know, that's, that's why that character is so impactful on the play because he's, he's, yeah. he's like complicated and uh, also, again, not a bad guy, like does things that are tricky yeah. and um, that cause negative you know, negative things to happen, but he, but I think the character is really, um, just like devil may care, like out here to, to make this film happen and hoping to like have other people get on board with that. And, uh, you know, by any, by any means, I'm going to like make this art happen. And he's a charming guy and, you know, and, and Vera is just like fully committed to, um, to finding all the ins and outs of the character and, um, really, you know, lovely and positive to work with and really beautifully dedicated to um, his accent work in the play, which is really phenomenal. And um, yeah, so it's been, it's been a really special process working with these two guys. And, and then of course um, our, our stage management team is really special too. So it's just, it's been a really, um, I, I felt really lucky and really safe the whole time in the room. And I'd, I'd imagine Which in a show nice. like that, yeah, I would imagine that in a show like this where your character does go through it, um, that having mm-hmm. that, 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 that safety net is important. But one thing I, I – uh, Yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing I wanted to talk to you about real quick before we, we end up is that I love just kind of from a thousand-foot view looking at – your career and, and all of the different types of things you do, um, whether it's, <laughs> you know, musicals or, or, or plays or, sh- you know, small stuff or, you know, off Broadway, on Broadway. And, and obviously I understand that actors take what opportunities are there, but is there any kind of plan a- as you pick shows and kind of go through the different, you know, machinations of what the business throws at you, just kind of mm-hmm. all the different stuff that you do? How do you how does that all come together? Is there a plan or is it, this sounds interesting, I'm going to do it. it. It just kind of fascinates me at the different stuff that you do that kind of prevents you from being pigeonholed in one type of role or another. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I think a major part of it is, um, is does when, when something comes across my email, like either as an offer or as an audition, it's like the, the first thing is, um, do I like this writing? Do I like this character? Do I find this interesting? And then especially if it's on stage, I mean, if it's TV uh, or film at this point, usually I'm like, if I like, if I like the character, if I like the writing, I'm usually game. But if it's theater, you know, the thing, the beautiful thing about theater is we're doing, we're, we're, I'm going to be doing this play eight shows a week for who knows how long. So I really find it important to, to think about at the very beginning, is this something that I'm going to want to really pour myself into and like, and, and give myself to, um, for all of this time. Um, because I want to do it justice. I want to be able to be excited about whatever it is and be creatively stimulated enough by whatever it is to continue working on it and pursuing the storytelling that is required of me for three, you know, three to four weeks of rehearsal. And then whoever knows how many weeks of, of eight shows a week, which is, which is a lot of work. Um, and so, so yeah, I think the major thing for me is like, am I for theater is like, am I excited about like trying to key into who this character is and where this character comes from? And, uh, and the story, of course, like how this character feed, you know, feeds into the story and do I love the story and do I love the writing and, and all of that. That's, that's really like the major factor to me. And then of course, you know, there are, there are like the older I get, of course, the more um, stuff comes into play, like, okay, how long is this run and where is it? And um, is it on Broadway or off Broadway? Like, you know, the money becomes of course a factor and um, all of that. But, um, but generally it's, 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 it's about like how excited I am about this particular production, this team, this direction, you know? Um, yeah. Am I, am I turned on by the idea of this project is, is sort of where I, where I come from. And also right now I'm, I'm, yeah, I think for a while there, maybe like 10 years ago, it was like, Oh, this is a person who's, who does edgy rock musicals and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it, it's fun to have sort of, stepped into doing more things just by the nature of, yeah, picking things that are, are, that have variety and that excite me in different ways and, and all of that. Yeah. Having more experiences in my actual life to inform my art, artistic life and all of that. Yeah. I hope that answers your question. No, (laughs) absolutely. And and as I was sitting here listening to you talk about it, I, I did start to see even more parallels with Kate because she goes through this thing and tries to f- tries all these different things, you know, to kind of see how they feel on her and, and how they yeah. nourish her. And it, you know, obviously in a much different, you know, arena and for different reasons, but I, I kind of saw the connections between all of the different types of things that you do with Kate trying to find the thing um, yeah. that makes her feel fulfilled. So, so I love that. And yeah. like I said, at the beginning, I'm, I'm still, going through everything uh from yesterday and and the more i think about 
kind of the whole structure of it, the more it really mm-hmm. kind of uh, gets me even more excited. Uh, and again, I don't want to spoil anything, <laughs> but like, but like, yeah. uh, you know, once you really start to to figure out who everybody is, everything yeah. that comes before comes into a much different light. That really, it's it felt interesting and and cool at first, but feels really really illuminating once you kind of see the whole picture. I love that. I love, love, love hearing that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you got to see it again. It's, you know, it's yeah. changing still every day. I mean, we, oh, we've, sure. we had cuts and changes every single day of this first week of previews. And uh, we've already got a nice stack of cuts and changes <laughs> for this coming week for Tuesday. I'm sure the whole awesome. week will continue to change, which is really well, exciting. Yeah. And I'm sure that's one of the fun things about working on a, on a new show, too, is, is being able to it be really in the room. It is. It really is. Well, I just was saying yesterday to um, to some of the wardrobe ladies that it's like that is like some of the most exciting stuff about being in theater and in theater working on a new play, especially with someone who's sort of brave the way Rinna is to just be like, well, I'm just going to cut some beautiful poetic lines that I had (laughs) that we all loved because it's going to serve the play better. It's going to make this clearer and it's going to make this other thing later on more impactful. And and what it does for us as actors is is keeps us quite literally on our toes and, and yeah. keeps everything feeling sort of risky and scary. And, um, and I think just continues to make the play feel exciting and new. Next, I speak with Derek Delgadio, a performer who, in ways similar to Rebecca, refuses to be pigeonholed as one specific thing. His show in and of itself has been playing at the Daryl Roth Theater since April 5th of 2017 and will end its remarkable run on August 19th. This one-person show, which is produced by Neil Patrick Harris and directed by the legendary Frank Oz, is very difficult to describe for both me and Derek, but it's part magic and illusion, part one-man play, part storytelling, and 100% jaw-dropping. There's an incredibly insightful and touchingly human power and simplicity to this show that needs to be experienced to be understood. In the interview, Derek is a soft-spoken, earnest, introspective performer who knows how transformative and impactful his show can be if the audience is willing to go on the journey with him. There are some minor, thinly-veiled spoilers discussed here, so if you haven't seen the show, I highly recommend skipping this section buying tickets to see the show, going to the show, then coming back to this section to listen to Derek discuss it afterwards. If you do go to the show for the first time, I encourage you to participate in all aspects, beginning from the moment you walk in, as sincerely and non-cynically as you can. Now, I spoke with Derek in the theater's basement bar about 15 minutes after the show ended on a two-show day, so you'll hear some commotion and ambient noise throughout, so I apologize about that. But Honestly, the most obvious noise that you're going to hear is me trying to put my mind back together after it had been thoroughly and completely blown. Also, Derek mentions a drawing that he made at the beginning of the show's developmental process. I don't want to spoil anything, so I won't discuss what that is here. But if you've seen the show and want to know what it is, send me a message via email or Twitter and I'll be glad to share. Okay, here's Derek Delgadio. Were you guys in that show? We were. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, I did, as I was telling her, not a lot of time to kind of process uh, for me. But I guess my first question is, what what the hell? 
Like, yeah. I, I don't even know what to, you know, to, to kind of bring into it because I came in hearing so much about it and, but without specifics and details. So if people ask you, how would you describe this show? Uh, I think the closest definition I've come up with uh, or description I've come up with is a theatrical existential crisis. <laughs> that seems about perfect. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. great. So a lot of this show is about identifying yourself and yeah. other people and especially you. For me, it's hard for me to even say how, you know, other than the stuff you do in the show. Yeah. How do you describe yourself? Are you a magician? Are you a, a performance artist? Are you a storyteller? I don't, I don't. I mean, I made the show so I don't have to choose yeah. in a sense. You yeah. know? And so uh, I I have those tools in my toolbox, uh, you know, tools of a magician, tools of a performance artist, tools of a writer. But I, I don't identify with any one of those specific um titles um and not just because i am avoiding it i just i know i know i know writers and they write yeah i know performance artists and they that's what they do, they do yeah. and, and magicians make magic and i i kind of don't have a specific thing that i uh feel that i focus on so i don't really feel comfortable adhering to any one of those labels yeah. and, and i guess that's probably why this show has been uh you know, you've kept going for so long because it wasn't supposed to be this long right, run. Yeah. You know, it started was just supposed to be what two, three months. Yeah, and like then a normal run. Yeah. yeah, just a normal yeah. off-Broadway run, and now it's well over a year later, and you're still doing it. What? Why is this show not other than the fact that the audiences are coming and seem to be loving it? Yeah. You know, why is this something that you've wanted to continue to do for so long? Uh, I'm really proud of the show. Um, I think it's uh, it's. Uh, I didn't intend to to make a show that felt as relevant as it does, yeah. but the the timing of it and the zeitgeist of the world and the election fell on us, and yeah. and so the show became relevant in a way that I hadn't anticipated. And um, the only way that people will see it is if they come and I do it. And yeah. so I, I, I wanted as many people as possible to see it, um, but at the same time, I need to be like mindful of my own mental well-being yeah. and health and, and and so um i have to put a cap on it at some point yeah and i also feel like um uh you know doing it too long it turns it into something else you know it becomes a you know all oh, that thing you can go see and yeah. i don't i don't want it to just be another show that people can go see in there what do you want it to be I, it is what i wanted it to be it, it took it took as long as it's taken um yeah. but i i wanted it to be um a confrontation of what it what it means to be and be seen by others and more importantly to kind of point people to the idea that how we see each other is part of what defines one another and so um being conscious of that agency we have in creating others identity i think is a really important thing and and it's it's not it's not just about having empathy and 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 seeing someone for who they are, it's, it's also understanding that how you see them is defining them. And and I think that if we were a little more conscious of that, the world might be a little better yeah. for it. And, and I think, you know, one thing that I took from it is how you define yourself is is as much internal as it is external. Yeah. And, and, and the crisis happens when how you see yourself and how others see you 
are not in parity and yeah. how uh, the, they're not balanced. The, the, uh, and, and, and the pain that goes with feeling like you are unseen or not seen how you see yourself is universal. I don't, I don't think that is a pain that is specific to anyone with even like more dramatic <laughs> versions of the crisis. Yeah. I think it's universal to everyone. Well, and I, 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 it felt like that upstairs just a few minutes ago, you know, especially as we got into the last third of the show, it felt like a shared cathartic experience. Well, yeah, it's a, I mean, the show is a Trojan horse and it was intent- yeah. it's intentional. The show's not about me. It never was. Yeah. Uh, the show's about you and you don't realize it until it's too late. So <laughs> what happens is, is people think they're watching a, a, a one-man show and they might even think they're watching, oh, I heard he does illusions or side of hand too. So they might yeah. have preconceived expectations of what what they're about to see. And I play into that a little bit and I let them uh, come to it with those expectations. But then by the time they realize this, realize that it's about them it's too late they're too deep into the rabbit hole to to scramble out (laughs) you know and so so i think that's what people feel in that last third that you're talking about where it's like wait a minute what's what's (laughs) happening the earth is shifting below my feet yeah and 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 in a way that doesn't feel um it feels inevitable it doesn't feel like oh this show is taking a turn it feels like we're 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 digging deeper into this and now i'm like a part of it in a way that i didn't I didn't expect. Well, the truth is, you were part of it before you started. Right. And this show was written for you, about you. You just didn't know it right. until I let you know it. Right. When I think that, you know, a lot of times when people go into theater that has a perspective, like you said the show had and they know it going in, they put walls up because they don't want to have that introspection right. forced on them. They, don't, they want to sit there and watch something. And I think the way you've set it up is that it doesn't allow people to put their their guard up and to defend themselves because you ask them a question at the beginning and they don't really realize how personal that question can be and how informative that can be later on in the show. So it, it does work as a way to kind of take their, you know, defenses away from them yeah. without them even knowing it. Yeah. So how, how during this year plus run, and I know it's probably two years now, by the time you started it in Los Angeles, how has the show developed not necessarily in you know what happens on stage but how has it changed for you with everything that's going on in the world with how people are identified being almost used as tools and weapons against them yeah um i you know it's the i feel like it's the first step it's the first step for me i feel like this show is the beginning of 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 something uh of the work that i hope to do uh and i just feel like i've learned i've learned how far people will follow or how how big of a leap that will take in the context of a theater um like uh things that now after doing the show people go oh of course like that but like there are things that i on the i thought of that i honestly didn't know if people would follow if people would go along with it and so i realized that like part of what makes um, a theatrical experience more of a human experience is allowing room for humans to be a part of it and allow their humanity to enter it and you need to create that space for them to come to it and to bring who they are uh, to the performance and I I did a little bit of that with this and I just think that they're, they're, I've, I now see that if you build it, they will come. Like you, you if you if you if you offer people uh, an opportunity to take the leap, uh, they'll do it and they'll soar. 
and that's been inspiring to watch um, and to know that it gives me a little faith like the book you know coming back yeah. and things like that those those things give me faith in in uh, and, and not just theatrically in, in reality and um, but I you also I still get surprised by it too um, I still get you know I had a, a young uh, African American gentleman stand up a couple weeks ago and he was a Republican and it I mean, like I've done the show 700 times yeah. and it, it's still was shocking to me. And that's literally what the show is about is our preconceived notions of yeah. when you see a person or a thing, you know what that thing is or is not. And it's just not true. And we need to open up our the aperture for what things can be, you know. And and uh, and so I feel like there's a lot of work to be done both as a as a as a as a creator but also as a human being on my end of like really examining it further you know yeah well you said this is the beginning you know so to speak and this show runs for another two months and then i was talking with the press rep and she said this isn't like you're gonna go take it on the the road or take it to london this is it this This is is done this is is the is that difficult after you've been doing it for so long or is it like i'm ready to move on um it's, it's, it's difficult in a few senses. Uh, one is, is um, ego, you know. Yeah. It's nice to, to go on stage and have people like a thing that you do. Sure. Um, and not having that to wake up to might be difficult in the future. Um, uh, you know, it's commercially successful, so that's, that's really yeah. nice. Um, so, yeah, there are elements of it. But at the same time, all of the things, all of the reasons that I can think of not to stop it are, are fear-based generally. Hmm. Um, the only, the only positive one I can think of is that more people would get to see it, but everything else is just a fear-based decision of like, why, why, why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I trust that there's more to, more to be done and more to say, and that I'm capable of doing it and saying it, you know? And so it's a, it's my leap of faith that I have to take that after this, there's more to come. Um, and that there's more to say, and I kind of did what I could do with this, and and uh, and I gave you know two oh, two and a half years of opportunity for people to see it, and, <laughs> and you know, and and I did the best I could, and so um, hopefully the next one will will, will resonate, um, you know, on the same level, I guess. Yeah. Do you have something officially set for next, or is it something that you're still developing? What is what is that next step? I have ideas for 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 what's next, but I, I haven't pursued anything. No, commer- commer- like I haven't pursued pursued them in any avenue other than in my notebooks. Right. You know, so um, <laughs> I'd imagine those are pretty cool notebooks, though. Some of them are some of them are chicken scratch. Like I, I read, I go back and read old ones. Like I have no idea what I was thinking here. What was <laughs> I can't even decipher what this was. Um, but it's cool because like I have the notebooks from this show, and it's really amazing that. That like um, I'll show you like a picture of like the very first thing uh, that I drew, the very very first thing that I ever drew in my notebook about this show was uh, right here. Uh, blank page, blank notebook. Yeah. What am I gonna write? Oh wow! And so if you was- think about how 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 yeah where we're at now you know it's like 
that's the, I mean, it's every, that, that, I mean, that's the show. That's everything. Yeah. That's everything. How yeah. early was that in the process? Was it like the first thing? Day one. That was the first thing you drew, not, I mean. It, no, this was like. Yeah. First. Well, I, mean, I have to make a show. I have to deliver it in a year. Yeah. Um, I have a date a year out at a theater. Yeah. I need to make a show. What and that was the first thing. And I, was, I, just, I, I got out of my own way and said, just, just do the first thing that comes to mind. And I drew wow. That. And I went, well, here, that's we, insane. here we go. You know? I mean, it's, uh, it almost feels like that's one of the sections of the show. You know, right. you have this this image yeah. and then it comes to fruition yeah. later. Yeah, that's I, I, that's I like to think that way, like in terms of like, I, I think that, you know, I like to see things that were ideas come to life. You know, it's really satisfying, like as a creator. Um, uh, but yeah, it's really it's really eerie how a lot of these things were um not first draft because they were a million iterations yeah, yeah. of it, but looking back at the the original texts and the original ideas, the, you know, so much of it made it on to the stage, and, and especially the the core ideas of it all did. So. Yeah. It, during that process, you've obviously had you know some. I think a lot of the the, the marketing, especially here in New York, very be, at the very beginning, was less on you and maybe some of your collaborators in terms of. You know, you know, Patrick Harris as a producer and Frank Oz yeah. as, a, as a director. And then I think as people have started to see it and the word of mouth has come out, yeah. it that's shifted. But going back to them, as you've gone from that image yeah. to that first stage, how influential have some of those people <laughs> been on the journey for this show? Well, I mean, uh, Glenn Kaino, who is an artist I work with on many projects, was, uh, you know, a huge part of developing it and, and, you know, a sounding board and, and person for me to, to make sure I stay in my lane and, and on track. <laughs> um, uh, and Frank, uh, has been, you, you know, one of the, one of the greatest things to ever happen to me. I mean, mm. not just, not just collaboratively, but like as a human, mm. uh, having him in my life has been, uh, literally one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And, and uh, uh, it has enriched me as a person, uh, as a creator and as a person. And I'm really, I'm just grateful for him on every level. Um, and and, uh, and Neil being, uh, you know, the biggest champion in the world and someone who understands the landscape of theater out here. When we moved out to New York, having him help shepherd it and get us, get us mm-hmm. on the right track was, you know, that's why, you know, all of those things are why the show, uh, you know, the work was the foundation of it but but uh, having these people supporting it and Mark Mothersbaugh did the music and having all these incredible mm-hmm. people attached to it um, uh, you know obviously is is a is a plus I mean it, it doesn't it doesn't hurt I mean people yeah. might you know I'm sure people you know saw saw you know Frank's name or Neil's name or, or Mark's name attached and went wow that sounds interesting yeah. and, and went but hopefully they you know they left with a different, you know, a different yeah, idea absolutely. of what, of what, uh, of what the, I know it wasn't what they expected, whatever it was they expected. <laughs> it wasn't that. Yeah. You know? I, I, and that's the thing is that I didn't know what to expect, uh, coming in. Yeah. And even if I would have tried to come up with something, you know, ahead of time and said, this is what I expect this to be. Yeah. I can't imagine that I would have been able to expect this. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. That's was part of the goal. I mean, it has to live up to its name. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Really, it's like it, yeah. the title is the description as well. You yeah. know? Um, That's interesting. So, I, yeah, I felt like if, if you could describe it 
sufficiently after the show I've failed, you know, which is a terrible thing for marketing. <laughs> yeah, that really hurts the, the vastity people. It's yeah. horrible for, for the, the marketing team, but it's it's um, it's important for the content and, and, and yeah. right. It's in line with it. It's it's it's, yeah. it's that is the narrative, you know. Well, I think that, like I said earlier, if people knew what to expect, they wouldn't come in as open and, you know, as much of a blank canvas as they do if they're expecting to see a one-man illusion show, you know? Yeah, and and, then most people do. Yeah. Um, So, but it it definitely, they're forced to think about it differently throughout the show, you know, because their expectations are subverted within the first 10 minutes. So, like, it's... This is not what I thought it was going to no. be. You know? it, it, and for the better. And for okay, the better. Thanks. So, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll wrap this up because I know you've got another show, but I've been purposely dancing around all of the content because obviously we don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. But if, if, you know, we talked about this existential crisis. Yeah. Um, but if people are saying, you know what, I've heard so much about it. There's two months left. I want to come and see this show. In terms that they can understand not having seen it. Yeah, sure. What? What is in and of itself? Um, uh, in and of itself is an exploration of uh, one's identity and one being uh, my own, but everyone's really yeah. throughout the, the process of the show. It's an exploration of, of identity uh, uh, using uh, illusions as the metaphor for how there's there's more than meets the eye hmm. uh, and it is uh hopefully a uh a way to uh it, it's an opportunity to to maybe understand yourself or others in a way that you hadn't really expected or anticipated um and and uh, i don't know i mean still i've done this show for two, <laughs> two almost three years and i still i don't i lack the vocabulary and yeah. everyone around it does too because yeah. It is, it's personal for everyone. Yeah. Everyone, like it's everyone, what people take away from the show uh, depends on what they bring to it. And mm. if you come with an open mind and an open heart, it, it will be different from you if you're just coming to, to see, you know, a piece of theater. Yeah. That's what I, I started this without words to describe it. And it makes me feel a little better that you don't necessarily I don't, have, I don't. have a ton yeah. more. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, my friend Kelsey, we were both blown away and she was sobbing halfway through it. Um, so I was thoroughly uh, overwhelmed and, and I can't wait to see whatever that next step is on this journey that you've, uh, you've started out on. Well, thank you for, for being there. Finally, on this episode of Tell Me More, I speak with Connor Ryan, who is currently starring in the off-Broadway musical Desperate Measures at New World Stages. The show had a remarkably successful run with the York Theatre Company in late 2017 and received the praise of critics and audiences alike, not to mention quite a bit of recognition during the spring awards season. Amongst more than a dozen nominations, the show won the Outer Critics Circle Award for Outstanding New Off-Broadway Musical and two Drama Desk Awards, first for Outstanding Music for David Friedman and second for Outstanding Lyrics for Peter Kellogg. The show is a country-western slapstick broad comedy frontier take on part of William Shakespeare's play Measure for Measure. As the show opens, we learn that Connor's character, Johnny Blood, is waiting to be hung after being found guilty of murder. 
However, he was really just defending the honor of his lady love, Bella, played by Lauren Molina. The rest of the show involves Bella, a sympathetic sheriff, Johnny's long-lost nun of a sister, and an intoxicated priest trying to persuade a lecherous German governor to spare Johnny's life. While this six-person show is silly and fun and an all-around honky-tonk good time, as Connor mentions, it does have quite a bit of relevance to topics being discussed today. If you missed the show at the York, you are in luck because this wonderful little jewel of a show has just begun an open-ended run at New World Stages. So, make plans to see it now. So, here's my conversation with the wonderful Connor Ryan. I saw I saw the show yesterday. I was at the matinee yesterday, and God, that looks like a whole lot of fun to do every day. Oh my God, I'm so happy you were there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a blast. It's a blast. Hopefully, you guys are having as much fun as we are. Oh, absolutely. So this seems like this has been kind of a an interesting ride. I mean, you don't see a lot of shows go from a theater like the York to a, to a commercial run like that. Sometimes if you see it, you know, happen, it's usually at a, a, from a bigger theater, like roundabout or the public, but to have something be as successful as it was at the York and then to have this new life, you know, a few months later, what has this whole process been like for you? Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's, it's like, we joke about it being the gift that keeps on giving, you know, when you're an actor and, and you do this kind of off Broadway stuff, you know, it's really fulfilling. It's exciting to get to create a role. It's really, um, it's an artistic sacrifice you're taking, uh, when you know, you're not going to be making a ton of money and you know, you're not going to have a job for that long, you know, but it's a, it's a really exciting experience to get to be a part of a brand new production uh, maybe if you're lucky to get to be on the cast album, but for it to extend as long as it did at a nonprofit theater, um, to get to be working at a nonprofit theater for more than a couple weeks, let alone to get a transfer to a commercial run. I mean, yeah. it it's it's just totally beyond our wildest dreams. We're so, we feel so lucky. I feel so lucky, um, and so so. Uh, I mean, and it, 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 it's it's amazing to get to have you know job stability a, a little bit of extra job stability yeah. a, a, a little extra um length of a of employment but also there's the added there's the added joy of the opportunity of getting to dig even deeper into the show you know getting to not only getting to create a role but then getting to come back at it a second time and think to myself you know what what do I want to build upon? How do I want to make this performance stronger? How can we make the play better? It's just such an awesome thing to get to do. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it, it's been the gift that keeps on giving. It's, 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 it's awesome. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, you know, kind of uh, diving back in and changing things. What's, what's changed for you and for Johnny Blood since the, uh, since the first run? Oh, Johnny. God, I love Johnny so much. <laughs> I... I I think I first came in with this kind of like preconceived notion of him, you know, like I wrote him off as this dumb hick, this like this thick <laughs> uh, cowboy um, who, who who didn't have a lot of depth. And um, and as we worked at the York, we realized pretty early on that that he that it, it can't work with him being dumb. 
if he's played as dumb, the story doesn't work. There needs to be a realistic three-dimensionality to him in order for the play to work because we have to be rooting for this guy. We have to be, we have to want to see him freed. Um, and so we and work, not die. Yeah. Yeah. And not die. Right. We need, to, we need to be hoping we need to be invested in his, in his life. So, so we worked really hard at the York um, to figure out what that is um, with the play written as it is, what his intelligence level is, you know, what, why he, doesn't understand some things as quickly as some other characters in the play. <laughs> and, and, um, and I think this time around, and, and we, we found, a, we found a, a lovely soul to him and, and, a, and a lovely, um, um, I think there's, there's a lot of really good stuff in, in, in his relationship with his girl, you know, with Bella. Um, I think that makes him really relatable and, and really, um, appealing. But this time around, we kind of came back at it and Bill Castellino, our, fantastic director he we we showed up with this um, uh, another huge um another huge luxury of this second production is that we had three weeks of rehearsal when we really you know when when it would have been understandable if the producers had just wanted to kind of like stick it and you know copy paste it back on the stage but we we were given this opportunity of three full weeks of rehearsal which is such a gift and and uh the director kept bill kept uh repeating this this word poet. He kept saying to me over and over, Johnny is a poet. I mean, listen to this song that he sings about his life. You know, he may not be the smartest guy ever. He not may be the fastest wit, you know, he not may, he, he may not be the, um, the most cunning character, but he has a, a great depth to him. And, um, and he sees things, he sees the world in this sort of beautiful, odd little way and um so anyways i'm <laughs> rambling now but yeah this, no, this, that's the, great. the second time around it, it was it was it was really fun to try to infuse him with even more um more life and yeah i just i love playing him so much i think it's it's such a fun thing to get to do a play about a guy where the first thing we learn about him is that he's a murderer yeah and to show the audience that he is good that he is good and kind and um and that you know and that there's more to him than meets the eye and so that that is that is just a total total blast every single every single night we get to perform it yeah well and you you talk about kind of developing this character and building this show how long have you been involved with this was this just something you were brought into at the york or were you involved with it before that when did your experience with desperate measures start I jumped on at the York. So it's a six member cast. Um, two of our cast now, uh, were involved in it, um, in much, much earlier, Got it. um, readings. That would be Lauren and Nick. They, they were, they were involved in, in earlier readings and, and, and stuff. I think Nick may have even been involved in a, uh, long, long ago nymph production. Oh, wow. Um, and and then the rest of us were brought on um, for day one of rehearsal at the York, and then our entire cast from the York moved to New World Stages. Except we did get one new uh, actress right. playing uh, the nun, my sister. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I so I, I jumped on at the York. Yeah. So I, I wonder how much. I mean, one of the cool things about this show is 
again, something that's, you know, kind of a little surprising for a production coming from such a small theater like New York. But you guys, I mean, I, I don't know if this is 100% true, but it feels like you were one of, if not the most nominated musicals uh, of the year when you factor in all of the awards, won a bunch of, you know, won a couple of drama desks and all this stuff. Like, that has to be... I mean, I mean, it was a surprise for me because I hadn't seen the show uh, until recently. But like, that's got to be really gratifying to know that this work that you put in at this show that you didn't expect a whole lot to come from uh, really has paid off in spades with a lot of not only critics, but audiences as well. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I cannot describe to you our bliss <laughs> and our delight and our surprise, our surprise as well. I mean, we um, we would never. I personally never would have expected uh, all all of this awesome response, especially considering that the writers have been working on it for like 15 years. Yeah. It feels like the the show really happened at the right time, right in the middle of our run at New York. The Me Too movement really took off, mm -hmm. and suddenly the show became. Um, a lot more relevant and topical than we had even realized, which sounds dumb because uh, those themes are so universal and are so historic almost. I mean, yeah. it's just, it, 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 Unfortunately. The, the themes of, yeah. And it's funny. I saw Othello in the park the other night and I, I again was just astounded at the, at the relevance of this material that Shakespeare was writing 500 years ago. And I don't know whether or not to, to think of it as like, geez, our, our world really hasn't evolved at all, or to see him as this talent way, way ahead of his time. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but I mean, I, I think it's a combination of both, but um, I, I, yeah, the, the getting, getting nominated for the awards was just, you know, you try not to put too much weight in those things sure. because uh, uh, the arts is such a subjective um, thing, but of course it is so exciting to, get validated in that way to see our writers be validated in that way. We went to the drama desk thinking, Oh wow, we're going to be, we're going to be like the, the loser kids <laughs> at the drama desk. You know, one of the many, many millions of off Broadway things, you know, sort of yeah. just tagging along with the big dogs. And then to hear David Friedman and, and Peter Kellogg's names get called out one after the other was, truly one of the most That's exciting awesome. moments of my life yeah it was we were just freaking out it was great and you, i mean obviously that you mentioned the writers uh, uh and and they both won in their individual uh categories at the drama desk peter and david but you also mentioned shakespeare which is where you know kind of the basis for this story comes from and and i and i think i knew it intellectually when i came in and i knew that kind of the dialogue was all in verse. And what's funny about the way you guys do it is, is that there are moments when it's still obviously going on, but it just doesn't like, it doesn't kind of hit you over the head with it. And I just kind of was like, Oh yeah, they're just talking now. It just happens to rhyme. And it's so well written and so well delivered that it just feels natural for these, like you said, rednecks and country bumpkins and, you know, and a German governor to be talking in verse. It just works so, so well. Oh, I'm so happy to hear you say that because I think it's mistakenly one of the things about our show that seems to um, make audience members hesitate a little. Yeah. It's one of the things about the piece that people kind of go, oh, I don't know about that. I'm not sure if I want to see it. And then across the board, people are delighted by it. Yeah, I think it's because they think verse and they think this um, dense 
Shakespearean vocabulary yeah. that it that is at times you know difficult to follow. But we have the we have the um, cool combination of the show being written in these in this iambic pentameter and in this and in this meter, but with a more contemporary vernacular that is really fun for an actor, yeah. and I think just as fun for an audience to listen to. It's we so sort clever. Of hear every. Thank you. Yeah, I mean Peter Kellogg is just a genius. Some of the stuff is just is really it's just amazing, and and it's so fun to hear the sort of the shoe drop every every performance when when those people in the audience you can tell who who had no idea it was going to be in verse sort of <laughs> realize what's happening and it delights them you can tell that they're excited that they oh i figured it out i figured out the secret and suddenly they feel you know like they're a part of this of a part of the club you know it, it's it's really fun yeah well i won't keep you too much longer but just if people uh, maybe heard about the show before it, you know, before it transferred and are not really sure it's the summer, you know, they're not sure where they, what they want to do. If they want to see some of the big flashier things on Broadway, or they want to take a risk on this show that's based, you know, a country music, Shakespeare musical, uh, that's in iambic pentameter. What can you tell them about the experience of going over to new world stages and seeing desperate measures? Oh, I just think come if you're in the mood for pure fun, you know, I mean, there, there are other gifts that you're going to receive seeing our show but i think first and foremost come if you just want to laugh if you want to forget about all the nasty stuff you're seeing in the news this is just a pure two and a half hours fast-paced fun good singing good music lots of uh third little you know <laughs> delightful surprising jokes and yeah i mean just, just just come come in the mood to have fun that's all we we were looking to do over at uh, over at Desperate Measures just have a have a really good time. Yeah, and you mentioned, and I I'm, I should have mentioned this earlier, but man, the, the voices that you guys have are like across the board are just fantastic. Like every time I thought, oh, that was really impressive. Like like either the next line of the song or the next song itself just kept blowing me away. So the talent that you guys have on that stage and just such a small cast is phenomenal so uh i'm oh, so thank you so much yeah i'm so happy for all the success that you guys have had and and hope for another even longer run at new world stages than you had the first time around because it really is a great show that deserves to be seen by as many people as possible oh well thank you so much and thanks for helping us out by doing your little part of you know uh, including us in this we really really appreciate it Thank you for listening to this episode of Tell Me More. My name is Matt Tamanini. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMATT. You can reach out to Broadway Radio on both Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. We will have information for each of the performers and shows in the show notes and on BroadwayRadio.com. Tell Me More is produced by me. Special thanks to Rebecca Naomi Jones, Derek Delgadio, Connor Ryan, Julie Danny, Danielle Ruff, Leslie Papa, Elsa Hoke, Scott Klein, and the man without whom none of Broadway radio is possible, James Marino. Thanks again for listening, and remember, oh, it is excellent to have a giant's strength, but it is tyrannous to use it like a giant. Also, always get a second scoop, and when you get the chance, ask people to tell you more. <laughs>